Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I will be joined by the Drew family. We're going to have a little conversation with Homer Drew, former head coach of Valparaiso, and his two sons, Baylor head coach Scott Drew and Bryce Drew. Scott, of course, longtime head coach of Baylor, top five team heading into this season, top five, top ten recruiting class. Bryce Drew uh, entering his first year at Grand Canyon, certainly very unique situation dealing with a pandemic and how he's going to handle all that. But um, a very interesting convo dealing with coaching, who they um, learned from, obviously their dad, what they took from him, what he saw in both sons, what they saw in each other, uh, the shot that certainly uh, resonates throughout college basketball um, that Bryce Drew hit to knock off Ole Miss, how they're dealing with COVID and how they hope to make this world a better place and how they're better listeners this summer. Um, Homer Drew is an outstanding individual, and I've always looked at him as someone who can bring people together. He and his wife, Janet, have been battling cancer. They're on the other side of it. But I got to be very cautious, obviously, with COVID. But this family, I'm just telling you, in terms of families in basketball, just outstanding people, uh, great role models, and... um, I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with them. Uh, we are taping this in advance of obviously the Division One Council decision on Wednesday, September 16th. Uh, so we'll know the start of the season, number of games, all those kind of particulars we'll know later this week. Uh, so we want to do a little more of a conversation this week that I think you'd enjoy whenever you listen to the podcast with the Drew family. But also the NBA is going on, as we know, down in the bubble. So uh, I love our Turner Sports crew, and we had a great idea. I am ranking in Cats ranks the top 10 college players in the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll do the Western Conference next week. Celtics and Heat. This was incredibly difficult. Got to leave out certain guys. I think you'll know who I left out when you listen to that. So let's get to my conversation with the Drew family. Homer Drew, the Hall of Famer. Bryce Drew head coach now at Grand Canyon, and Scott Drew, head coach of Baylor. Sometimes I feel like I'm the third son here, (laughs) but I wanted to make sure that everyone came together um, for the Zoom here. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Homer. Um, What's it been like to basically be separated from your boys here? Um, And and I'm just curious how often you've been able to 
to Zoom with the family? Well, not enough. Uh, I missed the basketball season because we get the three of us on um, probably after most of the basketball games. So it's always fun for Scott and Bryce to kind of keep me updated. And, and we talk about basketball. So not near enough. But with eight grandkids, they keep me very, very busy. In fact, if I need technology, I just call one of the grandkids now. So, Andy, you are the first person I think he's ever gotten on a Zoom call for. So only you could make this happen. Bryce, what about you? How often are you getting grandpa, you know, to, to Zoom in? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not too often. Um, he has done a couple Zooms with, uh, with some meetings, different things. But, uh, but usually uh, if we get him on FaceTime, that's like a huge achievement in itself. <laughs> Andy, I could definitely use you as a third son. So okay. I will, I will now feel free to call you more often. <laughs> well, you've got great success with these two. And so before we get into teams and stuff like that, um, I want to start with you again, Homer. Um, if you tell me, uh, I want to go back here. Why did you think, or when did you even think that Scott and Bryce would not just be coaches, but be good coaches? Well, as they were growing up, I was not concerned about coaching at all, but I wanted to, for them to be around what we were doing. And since I was in coaching, I can remember them coming up and watching practice. Then uh, after practice was over with, they'd run around the gym and they'd play wiffle ball or nerf ball or play high and go seek uh, in the gym. So they were always around the, the gym which as I look back was, is really nice because uh, even to this day with daughter Dana and Bryce and Scott, they all have been involved in a very positive way with sports and have enjoyed sports. And you know, as being a father that you just want your children to grow up to find something that they enjoy doing. And so I never envisioned them uh, wanting to go into coaching. In fact, Scott was online to graduate and go to law school at and so I can still remember him coming home his senior year and saying, Dad, I need to talk with you. And I said, well, sure. What would you like to talk about? And he says, well, I'd like to go into coaching. And so, Andy, I thought, well, fine, Scott, after you get your law degree and you want to still go into coaching, fine. And he says, no, 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 no. I want to go right now. So we had a, a grad assistant spot. So that really worked out well for him. And with, and with Bryce, um, his dream, Andy, was always to play one year in the NBA. And he ended up playing six years. And then after he, his career got over with, he said, well, he wasn't sure. And he looked into business and then we had a coaching opening. And so I said, well, why don't you try coaching a year and then see what you gravitate to? And then obviously he gravitated to coaching. So neither one was planned, but knew that they would be very, very good. They're both natural instincts in the world of sports. Uh, they know the game well. And what and yeah, I'm most proud about is that they teach and they're good teachers to all their players, both on the floor and off. So I feel very blessed to have them. All right, Scott, then you, Bryce, what was it about watching your dad at Valpo uh, that made you want to get into this profession? Well, well I, actually, uh, um, I think it's a great compliment for any father if their kids want to follow in their profession. And that means uh, um, the dad obviously did something, uh, uh, right that they wanted to emulate. And, uh, with me, I know, uh, I'd always see my dad be really successful at, uh, everywhere he'd coached. And then at Valpo, when he had first gotten the job, as you know, when you start to build a program, 
it takes time to become successful. So uh, uh, I know with me, I wanted to help see him be successful. And that's a big reason why I wanted to help him. And he always taught me this right from a, uh, the get go. And that is the better the players, the better the coaches. So um, I wanted to help him recruit, bring in some players and uh, started with one of my good friends, Casey uh, Schmidt, who was a transfer from Arizona. And David Redmond was a really good player from uh, Valpo High School. And both those guys helped get Valpo on, on the map and going. And uh, again, uh, I think uh, it's a great compliment for any father if their children choose to follow in that profession. Bryce? Yeah, I, I think for myself, um, you know, growing up, I really didn't know anything besides being in the gym, being around a team. You know, some of my childhood memories are being in the van driving to Florida, not with my dad, but being with the players in the back, you know, uh, playing games and, and being in the gym, going to high school basketball games and falling asleep, you know, on the way home, you know, from a recruiting trip. And so for me, that was very much like that was part of my daily routine, part of my life. And um, it took one business meeting, Andy. I went to one business meeting. We were looking at uh, buying some apartments and doing them. And after one meeting, I think I called my dad and said, uh, you still have that spot open because this is a foreign language to me. I want to come back to basketball. <laughs> and, uh, and that's all it took was just one time venturing out that I knew basketball is what I wanted to do. So look, Homer, I mean, this is incredibly difficult. I mean, there are only X amount of jobs. Uh, obviously, you have a great name. But what have you seen from your sons? Um, that you think has allowed them to be now successful and have, in the case of obviously uh, Bryce, more recently, you know, multiple jobs. And I, I know it didn't work out of Andy, but to get one, you know, within a year after, um, you know, to be able to write back up onto that in the middle of obviously a pandemic and everything. Um, what have you seen from both of them that has indicated that kind of success? Both of them, Andy, are excellent at communications. Both of them can talk to uh, little kids. Uh, both of them have children, so they're very good with that. And they can talk with uh, uh, grandparents as well as parents and, and, and players. So communications, Andy, was the, was the big key. I think both of them enjoy people. And one of the great things is, as you and I know in life, uh, and I continue uh, at my age is that I enjoy learning. And when I meet people, new people, they always have experiences that I have not experienced. And so I enjoy learning. Both of these two, uh, Bryce and Scott, in, enjoy people and they enjoy learning. So that's, that is huge. Second thing is that they just had a passion for the sport of basketball and what it can teach, not only on the floor of teamwork and when a team plays great. I still always remember the Michael Jordan story. Uh, when he was with the Bulls and scoring 40 and 50 points a game. And he was asked, do you want to win scoring titles or do you want to win championships? So he wanted to win championships. So he uh, gave up. He sacrificed a little bit for the team. Didn't score as much, but they won. And much more success uh, came his way. So I love the teamwork atmosphere of basketball. And in life, you know, for you to do what you're doing, you have to have technicians around. You have to answer to people. Uh, you have to plan events. And so it takes people to work together to allow greatness to happen. And so both of them uh, really enjoyed the passion of basketball, of putting together a program, putting people together and putting them in a position where they can be successful as both of them have gone on and they've coached people who have gone to the highest level of the NBA and others that have played professionally around the world somewhere and not only playing professionally, but have gone in to become doctors, lawyers, whatever. So 
from a dad's perspective, just very proud of the influence they've been on our next generation. All right, Bryce and Scott, you got to break down each other. Bryce, what is it about Scott, who is clearly one of the more underappreciated coaches? His success has been phenomenal at Baylor um, over the last 17 years. Um, what is it about Scott that you think maybe is not getting appreciated enough in terms of his ability to coach at the highest level? You know, um, ever since he was my assistant coach when I played in college, and he always had a, a knack to him about bringing the best out in you. And again, sometimes it wasn't, you know, always the real positive comments. It was the challenging comments um, <laughs> that would challenge you to want to be better and get better. And um, I think as you look at the players he's had, you know, at Baylor and how much they've improved since they've come into his program to where they've left. Um, again, he really has a special ability to bring the best out in, and uh, only very elite coaches can do that. Scott, your turn. Well, I think uh, you, you look at uh, uh, Bryce's it's ironic because offensively he set the steals record, the assists record and points record at, at, at Valpo. Um, but I, I mean, was really gifted on the offensive end, uh, great instincts on the defensive end, but uh, uh, defensively I've been really impressed everywhere he's, he's coached. Uh, um, they're very fundamentally sound and uh, uh, he really does a great job in taking away what other teams do well offensively. Um, offensively, I think it's probably a little harder for him in coaching because he was such a, a gifted, talented offensive player. When he sees people not making fundamentally sound plays <laughs> or things uh, done the right way, it makes him want to get out there and, and still play. And he needs to stretch more before doing that nowadays. <laughs> but uh, uh, technically, uh, uh, he's, he's really, really good. He's uh, uh, tremendous also. Uh, he's a great servant leader, and he gets that from my dad. Uh, he really wants to help his players uh, become the best they can be. He listens to them. Uh, it's not my way or the highway, but uh, uh, it's a team aspect, and uh, his teams always uh, play well for each other. All right, so before we deal with the now, let's go back for a moment here. And I've talked about this with the three of you, I know, many times. Uh, when I was at Valparaiso, I mean, I, I know the mural of the shot. So just for those that – aren't as well-versed. Let's go back to the play, Homer. What was the play against Ole Miss as it was designed ultimately for Bryce to hit the game-winning shot, which still goes down as one of the most iconic game-winning shots in NCAA history? Very easy to set up because we knew we wanted Bryce to shoot the basketball, uh, being the best shooter on the team. So that that was a, a good starting point to begin with. And uh, as as people know, it's, it was called Pacer because that year we used for special situations, game-ending situations, we used pro names. And so uh, from uh, Indianapolis, uh, we just used Pacer. So when, when people see the shot, uh, they look and, they, and it looked like I was praying, maybe a little bit of praying, but what I was thankful for that the players with 2.5 seconds looked over and they said Pacer. And so my job as a coach, I thought I, it was over. You know, they knew what to do. They did not need me there. So I was very proud that they knew exactly what to run. They ran to the positions. And, of course, what you and all of the fans and people saw was the best, Andy, the best that play has ever run. Even in practice, very seldom could we get the two passes to get it into Bryce's hands. And then when we got it into his hands, it didn't always go in. So – it was wonderful and uh, uh, to have that moment where everything went perfectly and the ball was in the air and the clock goes off and the ball goes through and we win by one. So uh, only God could put that script into action. Scott, from your vantage point as an assistant, what did you see? 
a lot more prayer, I guess, than my dad had going on at that point. <laughs> but but uh, 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 to me, it was, I, I remember showing up at that game and it was kind of a culmination of a great senior class. They'd won three straight conference champions, excuse me, four straight conference championships, four straight league titles, but had never won an NCAA tournament game. And uh, it looked like we were going to have a chance to win that game. And then Ole Miss in the last uh, 10 minutes uh, came back, took the lead. And then uh, I just didn't want it to be our last game without having a chance to achieve that goal and dream. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ansu Cisse goes to the free throw line and the SEC player of the year happens to miss two free throws. And then Bryce hits the three and then all pandemonium breaks <laughs> out. Everybody jumps on the floor. Bryce did show his intelligence. He had a 6'6 twin, Bill Jenkins and Bob Jenkins, both of them bench pressed about 325, running at him. He dove down, <laughs> hit the floor, smart play, again, point guard intelligence, but uh, uh, truly one of the uh, special moments in the college basketball for me, for sure. Bryce, how much did you know that shot was going in once it left your fingertips? You know, definitely did not think it was going. I thought it was going to be short, actually. Oh, you did? I did. And if you go back and look at the film, like in slow motion, it skims skims the front of the rim and then goes through. So, so, you know, thank the Lord it went in two things. I would say I learned one is from my dad is he always carved time for practice. So his preparation of always carving time. And then my brother is like, you know, he probably had 10 last second plays that we could have ran because he was always prepared with, with, with multiple plays that we could have ran in that situation. So basically my brother's prep and then my dad's, you know, carving out time at practice were very instrumental in that moment also. How did your life change after hitting that shot? You, you, you know, obviously people knew about Valpo. Um, they knew, you know, our, our name more because our team had won and it was all over, you know, the, the world. You know, we had articles and, and, and people all over the world contacting us. You know, going back to, to old type media, one of the most amazing things is when we pulled into campus from winning that second game, our bus couldn't even pull up to the gym because people were flooded in the streets. And there were over a hundred different media outlets in person, you know, on our campus shooting from the roof and, you know, all other areas. And, you know, where do you get that nowadays? You know, that that's pretty uh, monumental. And, and that'll be probably a moment, you know, along with winning that game, but that moment going back to campus will be the two moments I'll probably take the most away. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still, anytime we see last second shots, um, it's always in the top five uh, in the history of the sport. Um, uh, certainly, I mean, if someone pushed me on that, I guess top 10, but it's always going to be up there without question. Uh, one quick thing before we get to these teams, Homer, uh, how often have you challenged Bob Hurley Sr. to challenge, <laughs> you know, family coaching? Because you've got Bob Hurley Sr., Bobby Hurley at ASU, now Dan Hurley at UConn versus you and your two sons. Um, I, that'd be a pretty good family feud, family dynamic there about, you know, who's had more success. I love your idea. And will you follow through and make that happen? We would love the challenge. <laughs> the Hurleys and the Drews. Um, all right. So obviously unprecedented times. Um, I'm just curious, first off, you know, we talked about Zooms at the beginning of this, but, um, you know, just for Scott and Bryce, I mean, I, I know your family well, and we don't want to leave out Dana and your mom. Um, but just how hard has this been because of COVID you know, you can't be all together, which is really the norm with this very close family. I'll start with you, Scott. Well, it's it's, it's toughest for me because uh, they're all together in Phoenix, although uh, uh, it is about 118 down there or 110, whatever it is. So, uh, I guess I'm, I'm glad we're here in Waco. But uh, 
uh, as far as it's tough for, for, for me, obviously, because if I would go down there, then when you come back, we, I'd have to quarantine for a week and miss practice. So really you're, you're, you're more limited to uh, calling FaceTime. Uh, as you see, he only get on zoom for you, Andy. So I don't get that privilege, but, uh, uh, anyway, uh, that it's definitely tough. Uh, uh, and especially because, um, with the downtime, uh, it is an opportunity that normally coaches you're out recruiting and you're gone all summer. You would have a chance to spend more time with family. And unfortunately you're not able to Bryce and then Homer. Yeah. You know, uh, being in Phoenix, it's, I mean, a beautiful city (laughs) driving around. There's so much to do. And um, especially coming to a new place, it's just, it's difficult when you can't really go out and experience a lot of things. And, um, you know, obviously my parents are older, so we try to be, um, you know, very uh, cognitive of, of that. And then also just elderly people, you know, around our campus. And, and, and I think what Scott said is as, as a head coach, you try to be extra careful because, you know, if something happens, that only affects, you know, you, but it affects your whole program you know, that you're going to be shutting it down for, for a couple of weeks, you know, in, in some ways, and that could really set you back for the season. So there's definitely a lot of extra strains and pressures and, you know, hopefully we can move on and, and get to games and, and, you know, get in the clear and get back to normal, you know, sooner than later. I mean, Homer, you're, you know, you both your cancer battles. I mean, I know you guys have to be very careful. What's it been like for you over the last, you know, six months? Well, I know this, Andy, that I've got a lot of tickets ready to fly to Baylor this year. So we're hoping that COVID gets down a little bit so that we can hop in the plane and get over and and watch Baylor play. You do have to be careful. There is no question uh, about that. And and especially with uh, Janet, myself, having gone through uh, cancer, we are very diligent about masks and and distancing and and try to take all the appropriate measures there, but excited for hopefully get the vaccine so we can get sports underway. And most of all, for families to get out and enjoy one another in a a better way. So Scott, you know, through workouts at this point, um, you know, masking for coaches, some schools are having their players, at least at this point, mask while they're working out, some not. Um, what's it been like for you guys on the court uh, to this point? Well, we've, we've definitely uh, uh, tried uh, uh, our best to make sure that we, we've taken things slow and been as cautious and uh, uh, not put our players in harm's way. Uh, I know it, it, it was nice because for, for two weeks ago was the first time we've done five-on-five and uh, being able to let them play five-on-five uh, they felt like they were kids at Christmas time. They said so. It was it was awesome to see how excited they were to uh, uh, begin to do do some of that. And uh, I know uh, with, with you guys have a big announcement coming up this week, and uh, can't wait to find out when uh, the first games can be played. Because uh, once we know that, I think everything will kick into overdrive, and uh, uh, our players uh, who've done a great job. Uh, uh, wearing masks, socially distancing, and uh, doing well on our COVID testings each week. Um, but they'll be really excited to know when games can be played uh, because that's why uh, they're part of college basketball is to have a chance to uh, play in a March Madness and uh, have a chance to put on that uniform and play in games. They love basketball, but they don't like practice as much as coaches do. I can promise you that. So, Bryce, um, you know, there couldn't have been a more difficult time to take a new job. Uh, you know, moving from, you know, the Southeast to the Southwest. Um, and then, you know, in the middle of the summer, Arizona becomes a hot spot. 
And so you got to deal with that. So what what has this been like, you know, with a move, with dealing with the roller coaster of the Phoenix and Arizona area of dealing with COVID? You know, with all the complications and the protocols that go into COVID and taking a new job, like I couldn't imagine taking a job at a school that didn't have the, a really good medical team, that didn't have a great administration, that didn't have a ton of support because, you know, there's only so much that we can do kind of in our seat right now. And you need, you have to rely so much on people, you know, on your campus to help you. And the support here has been phenomenal. You know, we got to five on five during the summer a little bit. Um, you know, we're back working out right now and, and, and progressing up with students getting back on campus soon. Um, but I, I can tell you that the support that I have had here has been unreal. And there's no way that I'd probably be as, as calm sitting with you if I didn't have that dealing with all of the protocol, you know, that we have to follow. You know, I'm curious all your opinion on this because, you know, Homer, obviously Valpo is such a small community and, you know, the athletes are really mixed in with the students. And yet because of COVID, you know, we're seeing a lot of situations where a lot of these campuses, it may be only the student athletes that are on campus and maybe some other researchers and people like that. Um, what, what's your thought on, on on maintaining that, Homer? And then I'll get the other two to chime in here about, um, you know, that, that student athletes are for the purpose of having sports or having to be sort of separated uh, during this unprecedented time? Andy, it's hard for myself and my wife at age 75 to be self-contained or kind of at times you're like you're in a prison. You don't want to get out. You don't want to mix in that by worried about being compromised a little bit. So that's difficult on us. And as a player, oh, I mean, players are active. They like to be out. They like to be doing things. So I think it's a tremendous challenge on their part to be able to be confined, you know, except out of practice or out of workout. So it's a challenge for everyone, whether we're young or old or whatever. And I think we're all anxious to get back out and get into, quote, a normal style of life where you can get out and be with people and visit things and and go to eat and go to movies, uh, go to basketball and football games and not have to worry. So I'm still praying that we can find and, and solve this uh, uh, before Christmas time. You know, I, I think what Scott said, we played five on five and it was probably the most excited I've ever had a team to be able to play five on five. And so I do think there's a, a more of a sense of appreciation. Like our players all are excited. They, they want to get back to campus. You know, they, they really want to get in the gym. They, you know, they can't wait to get to the five on five. And, and, you know, just watching some NBA on TV or some football, you know, again, it, it gives you some more, no more normality and gets you back just the blood flowing a little bit. So I think it's more of a release and escape. You know, it's like a like it's almost like they're on vacation. They get to come. They get to play basketball now instead of being locked up, not being able to do much, which all of us have been in that situation for the last few months. I agree with that 100%. I know uh, this summer when our guys were finally able to get in the gym, they were really excited. Um, and with all the restrictions and not being uh, uh, able to get in the gym as much as they would like to or normally are, are able to, I think, uh, again, they just appreciate it that much more. And uh, as most of our teams or players, at some point, someone on our team has gone through a 14-day uh, direct contact quarantine or whatnot. And after that point, I think it became real that uh, you're going to have to really sacrifice and uh, make sure that you're not putting yourself in harm's way or your teammates in harm's way uh, with the virus. So uh, I think uh, having our teams back this summer has helped because when the students had come back, they were already in a routine of being pretty careful and staying to themselves and not putting themselves in harm's way. All right, Scott, 
Uh, top five team, uh, <laughs> recruiting class, of course, top five for 21. Um, but let's go with this team. You get, you know, your guys come back led by Jared Butler. Uh, one of my top five returning players going to be a first team All-American, Big 12 preseason player of the year, probably. What is your expectation for this group? <laughs> well, I'm sure hoping that we can uh, 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 play and have a chance to uh, not not have a lot of uh, delays or postponements um, because uh, it, it is going to be challenging when when you're playing five on five. If one person gets it, now if that knocks out your team for two weeks, um, I mean you're looking at sizable chunks of the season being missed. And I think uh, uh, first and foremost. Uh, I know our guys really uh, uh, love basketball. They love one another. They love to have an opportunity uh, uh, to make a run at uh, a conference championship and an NCAA uh, tournament appearance and championship. So to do that, uh, a lot's going to depend on uh, being healthy and college basketball being healthy. And I tell you what, everyone's cheering for team doctors. I mean, we all want the vaccine and we want treatments <laughs> to advance so that uh, uh, we can uh, uh, continue to uh, get back to uh, competing and having uh, fans in the in the stands and being able to uh, do what we all love to do. All right, but specifically, oh, what do you love most about a- your team? <laughs> Why should we believe in Baylor? Give me a couple of things here. Well, I think, first of all, if you're looking at our team, uh, uh, everybody would prefer to have more experienced players, especially going into a shortened season without having the full summer to work with their guys. And um, it always starts with your backcourt. Very similar in college football, starts probably with your O-line and a quarterback. Well, with us, it starts with guard play. And we have an experienced group of guards coming back um, that have already been through uh, uh, the grind of the Big 12. So uh, um, I think with our guard play, uh, that's, that's number one. Number two, we do have a, a, a lot of returning players, and, and we know defense – wins. So uh, you have two Naismith, uh, uh, all defensive players and uh, Davion Mitchell and Mark Vidal back. Uh, so again, uh, with, with those two on defense, uh, leading the charge with the experience in the backcourt, uh, a lot of excitement uh, with Baylor basketball. At the same time, uh, I can tell you in the Big 12, uh, preseason wise, I saw uh, five of the top 12 were in the Big 12. So uh, just another year in the Big 12, uh, a great competition night in and night out. We're, we're hoping to have a chance to play each night. All right, Bryce, what's Grand Canyon going to look like when we do get back on the court? You know, we have some really good pieces. We have a really good sophomore uh, point guard who is a WAC freshman of the year. Um, we have an Italian uh, center who was uh, all league who returns. So we have some really good uh, returning pieces. And then we are able to bring in some, some new guys that we think will help us right away. So, um, you know, I, I love the potential, you know, of Grand Canyon. I love the potential of the team we have. Um, like my brother just said, you know, with us not having as much experience, especially being a new staff, you know, I think at the end of the year, we'll obviously be a different team than we will start November whenever that start date is. All right. One last topic. Um, and I want Homer to give us sort of the last word, if you will, here, because I can think of no one who was more about unity than Homer Drew. Uh, I don't care what color, uh, religion, didn't matter. And we need unity right now, Homer. Um, and, you know, with this social injustice that is really so many people are now seeing, which they should have seen for years, decades, centuries. Um, what's your message, Homer, to athletes out there, basketball players, uh, that now feel like they should be empowered to speak? you know, what has happened to them in their lives to come together as one 
regardless of your race or ethnicity? You hit it very accurately, Andy, oneness. And we do need to have that unity, that oneness. And that's where I love the sports world for all these years because it is one. It's all of you. It's not one person or one race or one religion. I love bringing variety. Uh, I mean, we had international players. We had American players. We had black. We had white. And I love putting them all together because it is about the unity. And that's what has made America great over all the years is that unity as well. When people unite and work together, greatness can happen when you work together. And that's why I have a great passion for the sports world. You know, Bryce, you were a pro. So, I mean, uh, you have spanned all levels of basketball. But in this most recent time in talking to your players, what have you learned? uh, What have your players shared with you? that may have opened your eyes or maybe just confirmed what you already knew and was hoping uh, more people are more allies, you know, uh, for the black community is certainly uh, at this juncture. You you know, sitting in the locker room as a player and and as a coach, you know, I I feel as a player, you know, you probably got to like 80%, maybe 85% of, you know, the full story, the full conversation in that locker room. But now I, I think teams will be closer and tighter than ever because now those conversations are going to 100%. Like, like people are, are, are saying what's on their heart, and now people are seeing it in a different light and understanding. And, you know, I think coming into a new job and meeting new players, you know, when we start talking about racial injustice, when we start talking about, you know, deep issues, and guys start opening up and speaking their heart, it, it brings us all closer and, and, and more together. And, um, you know, I, I think you'll see more unified teams this year than, than maybe ever, because there's conversations that are being had that have never been had before for a lot of people in that locker room. And, and like my dad said, you know, I echo that with the team. Um, your best friends are in that locker room and it doesn't matter what color, what race, when they, where they were born, you know, those are the guys. And, and we're going to be even closer now through all these conversations and through change. Scott, I'll give you the last word. Um, how has this summer changed you? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, just listening and uh, um, understanding about white privilege and uh, um, the standpoint that uh, the pain um, that our African-American teammates and assistant coaches and brothers have gone through. And uh, in sports, you love bringing a team together, being unified, um, and it's about playing for each other. And uh, it's loving your neighbors yourself. When uh, we look at each and every one and value each and every one, appreciate each and every one, make the best for each and every one, um, then we'll be the country that we all uh, dream America to be and want it to be. Every coach out there, you always want to serve your players and you want them to be successful, not only on their team, but be able to be successful in life. And uh, hopefully we can all make a difference. And that's what sports does. It brings people together, it unites them, it loves them. And uh, my dad has always preached uh, loving one another. And um, my brother and I have always tried to emulate that as well as bringing our teams together. But uh, we're all in this fight together. We're going to make America a much better place because of this, hopefully. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad I could bring all you guys together. Homer Drew, Bryce Drew, Scott Drew, I wish you nothing but safe, healthy fall, winter, and for many years ahead. Appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, now it's time for Katz Ranks. I want to hear your comments, your criticisms on social media. The top 10 college players in the Eastern Conference 
Finals. Boston Celtics taking on the Miami Heat down in the bubble in Orlando. This was an incredibly difficult list to put together. And there's going to be plenty of players left off here. I'm sure I'm going to hear from. But this is not the most talented players, but the players that had the best college careers. And as I said, there are a couple players on here. All-stars, champs that didn't make my list. Two names that are going to jump out at you. One, um, you know, you could make an argument. One, certainly on the Celtics, actually three names. And two, on the Heat. So here we go. Let's start at number 10. Jason Tatum from Duke, obviously the Celtics. Averaged 16 and 7 in one season playing for the Blue Devils. Played in two NCAA tournament games and was on the ACC All-Freshman team. So, Tatum at number 10. This is college, not NBA. Keep that in mind. At number 9, Taco Fall from UCF with the Celtics. 280 blocks in his career. He's the all-time UCF leader in block shots. Career 74% field goal shooter at UCF. 887 rebounds. Scored 1,160 points in the win over VCU in the NCAA tournament. He had 13, 18, and 5 blocks. He had 15, 6, and 3 blocks in that loss to Duke, which included one stretch where he blocked Zion Williamson and then had a putback dunk at the other end. At number eight, Kelly Olynyk, who once played for the Celtics, now with the Heat, from Gonzaga. He was the WCC Player of the Year in 2013. First team All-American in 2013, averaging 17 a game. And what was interesting about Olynyk, he redshirted as a junior. So was at Gonzaga for four seasons, played three. You don't see that too often. Made a huge jump between playing as a sophomore and playing as a junior, even though technically it was his senior year academically. At number seven, Jay Crowder from Marquette. Now with the Heat. Big East Player of the Year in 2012, averaging 17 and eight. By the way, the Celtics have their hands on all these different players, but uh, uh, Jay Crowder had an outstanding career for Marquette. At number six, Marcus Smart from Oklahoma State. Obviously with the Celtics now. Played two years for the Cowboys. Was the Big 12 Player of the Year in 2013. Big 12 Freshman of the Year in 2013. And a third team All-American in 2014. Brief stint with the Cowboys, but an outstanding career nonetheless. At number five, Udonis Haslam of Florida with Miami. UD had a sensational career with the Gators. Finished up in 2002. He was a four-year starter, won 97 games as a Gator, four-time All-SEC player, scored more than 1,700 points and 800 boards for Florida. I mean, look at that career. Look at those numbers. Hard not to have UD in the top five in this list. At number four, Grant Williams from Tennessee, now with the Celtics. 2018 and 2019 SEC Player of the Year. First team All-American in 2019. Averaged 18 and seven in that final season as a junior. An outstanding individual, represented Tennessee exceptionally well. So he makes my top four. At number three, maybe I'm a little blinded by the NCAA tournament, but it all counts. 
Carson Edwards of Purdue and the Celtics. 24.3 points a game as a junior, second team All-American in 2019, but that run he had to the Elite Eight within a whisker of the Final Four, 42 points against Villanova, 29 against Tennessee, 42 with 10 threes in that overtime loss to Virginia. He was the MOP of the South region without winning it, and 28 threes in four games. Outstanding run for Carson Edwards. At number two, Gordon Hayward from Butler, Celtics. Led Butler to the 2010 national title game, Horizon League Player of the Year. Ended up missing the most epic shot, you could argue, ever. That didn't go in for Butler at the buzzer against Duke in Indianapolis. He had 15 and eight. Those were his averages as a sophomore. Now in that Duke game, he was only two for 11, but finished with 12 and eight. Um, you know, if he'd been three for 12, history would have been changed. But Gordon Hayward, a solid career for the Butler Bulldogs. Um, you could debate me whether or not he should be two, but an outstanding career and led Butler to the 2010 National Championship game. And at number one, he's been number one on a number of my lists with good reason. Kemba Walker from UConn and the Celtics. Won the National Championship in 2011. You know, all these guys on this list, only one that won a National Championship game. First team All-American, Big East Tournament MVP 2011. He had four plus 30 point games when you include the last regular season game through the Big East Tournament and the NCAA Tournament. That step back against Pitt is epic in New York in the Big East Tournament. They also knocked off Syracuse and in the NCAA Tournament, wins over San Diego State, Arizona, Kentucky, and Butler to win the national championship. So, Cats ranks, Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics Heat, best college players, not most talented, best college players combined, the Celtics and the Heat. All right, so that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Next week, we'll do Cats ranks, Western Conference Finals. We are going to address the decision by the Division One Council, what it means, when the season will start, um, what kind of games we're going to have. Are they going to be in mini pods, bubbles, non-conference, conference, all that to be discussed next week after this week's Division One Council decision. Uh, things are happening. We've got a lot of unity in our sport. People are making the right decisions. People are being patient. Hopefully testing will continue to get better and people are staying safe and doing the right thing. But we're going to have a season. We're going to have a tournament. We're going to keep moving forward. And uh, there will be hiccups, but uh, we are going to crown a champ, March Madness 2021. And we're going to have an outstanding regular season. Uh, leagues like the Big Ten are going to be absolutely loaded. So enjoy all that because it's coming. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks to our Turner Sports team. Chad Aycock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, the entire NCAA.com team as well. Everyone doing an outstanding job during very trying conditions. So stay safe, everyone, again. We'll talk next week. We're going to have more decisions, and we're going to have dates. We'll know what's happening. Appreciate you all. Thanks again. <laughs>